You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. It was about the year 430 BC, and the Jews had returned from Babylonian captivity. So they'd been back in their homeland about 100 years at this point. The temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonians has been rebuilt. The walls outside of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. Thank you to Nehemiah. And the sole prophet on the scene is a guy by the name of Malachi. So if you don't mind finding your copy of God's word, and you can go to either the 39th book in the Bible, or you can find Matthew and just back it up one book. It's the very last book of the Old Testament. Let's go to the book of Malachi together. I'll give you a few seconds to find that. And as you make your way to Malachi... Just know that his name means God's messenger. So often in the Old Testament, in fact, almost every other instant in the Old Testament, in the days of the prophets, there was at least two or three prophets prophesying at the same time. Not the case when it comes to Malachi. He's, he is it. The, the sole standing prophet. And if you'll find Malachi, I know some of you probably won't find it until I get halfway through my sermon, but if you'll go to the book of Malachi... And just kind of look at it for a second. The first chapter is, is 14 verses. Second chapter is 17 verses. Third chapter is 18 verses. And if you want to jump to the last chapter, chapter 4, there's just six verses there. 55 verses in this short book. What's interesting is 47 of the 55 is God speaking in first person. of the book of Malachi is God speaking in first person. A higher percentage than any other book in the Bible, Old or New Testament. So if you came to church today saying, I wonder what God has to say, you've picked a great day to be here. Because God is going to speak in first person 85% of the verses here in in the book of Malachi. Let me step back and give you the, the kind of bigger context at this point. It's been a thousand years since Abraham by the time we get to Malachi. And the people of God, the Israelites, they have the advantage, if you will, and the weight of history on their side. They can see the incredible rewards of obeying God, and they can see the incredible consequences of of disobeying God, and I guess we can too. But even with that perspective, God's people are straying from God's best again here in the book of Malachi. So this book is the final statement of judgment in all the Old Testament. But it's also a book that is anticipating and longing for a new covenant, for a new day, longing for God's saving work through a Messiah, through a promised one who is coming. So let's pick it up in Malachi chapter 1. Let's begin in verse 6 together. And needless to say, just keep your Bible open. We'll be roaming all throughout this book this morning. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. A son honors his father. And a servant, his master, if then I am a father, this is God speaking, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despised my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? Oh, by offering polluted food upon my altar? But you say, how have we polluted you by saying that the Lord's table may be despised? When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or or sick, animals that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept it or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. 
With such a gift from your hand, will, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hand, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it. When you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, his food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness is this? Speaking of worship, what what weariness is worship? And you snort at worship, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it to the Lord and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God ain't messing around. There are three things I want you to see in, in this short passage right here that, that, that stirs the anger of God. Let me just say, I think as God's people, we should know what stirs the anger of God. Elementary school kids who are here, you need to know what stirs your parents' anger. That's a very wise thing for you to know, what, what stirs up the anger of your mom and dad. If you don't know what stirs up the anger of your mom and dad, go on a road trip with them and you'll find out very quickly. I mean, it did not take long at all on family vacations for me to realize what, what stirred my dad's anger. I, in fact, I narrowed it down to about three things. Uh, one was anytime I made my sister cry, even if she just started crying on her own. She knew, she knew how the deal went. She could cry on her own. I still got in trouble for that. But that would raise the, the ire of, of my dad. The second thing, and I get this because my son used to do the same thing to me, was leaning over the seat in the station wagon and calling out his speed limit and letting him know how fast he was going. That, that raised the ire of my dad. And I'm going to lose some of you on the third thing. But they used to, this is long before GPS and Google Maps, these were these huge fold-out maps, right? So my dad would hand that map back to me and ask me to fold it back up. And that was the hardest thing. So I just kind of hand it back to him all crumpled and it still looked about the same size as when, when he handed it to me. Those three things I learned pretty quickly. That would stir the, the frustration, the anger of my dad on a family vacation. I think it's it's really important for us to know the question, what stirs, the, know the answer to this question, what stirs God's anger? Here's the first thing that we see, showing apathy toward his fatherhood and toward his lordship. Did you see that in, in verse six? Chapter one, verse six, a son honors his father and a servant, if you will, honors his master. And God says, if then I am a father and I am, where's my honor? And if I am a master, and he is, of the entire universe, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you? This stirs the anger of God when his daughters and his sons, they, they're lazy about his fatherhood. And they're apathetic that he's the master of the universe, the Lord of all. What else stirs God's anger? Well, offering half-hearted worship and hesitant obedience. That, that stirs the anger of, of God. We see this in, in verse 7 and verse 8. Let me kind of go back to that again. By offering polluted food above, uh, upon my altar. In other words, food that was not prayed over. Food that was leftovers. Food, food that was not, it, it was not the best. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer animals that are lame or, or sick, is that not evil? Then God says, go present those to a, to a politician and see what they say. You're, you're giving me what's not your best. 
You're giving me the leftovers, God says. You're, you're giving me half-hearted worship, and then you're very hesitant to obey me. You know what I've called you to do, and yet you hesitate in obedience. We see the same thing happening in verse 13, verse 14, if you look at that again in chapter 1. But you say, what a weariness worship is. Wow. How tired we are of worship. And you snort at it, which is kind of a weird Hebrew word for you. You turn your nose up at worship, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what has been taken by violence. In other words, an animal for sacrifice that's been stolen or an animal that's lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat, interesting word. Cursed be the one who, who, who has a male in his flock, an unblemished male, and even promises it to God, vows it to God, and yet sacrifices to the Lord another animal, one that is blemished. This stirs God's anger here in chapter 1, offering half-hearted worship, offering hesitant obedience to the Lord. Here's the third thing. This stirs God's anger when his people call unholy things holy. See in verse 11, verse 12, for from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to to my name. It will rise up to my name as as a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Look at the turn here in verse 12. But you profane it. I have a holy name, and you're saying that my name is unholy. Really, the same thing is said, if you will, at the end of chapter 2. We didn't read that, but you can look at it very quickly. Malachi uh, chapter 2, look at verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. But you say, well, have we wearied God? And here it is, by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. You wearied him by saying that, that everyone who does evil is actually good in the sight of the Lord and that God delights in evil? Or by asking, where is the God of justice? It, it stirs the anger of God when God's people look at unholy things and call them Holy. Uh, Look at things that that, that God hates and we say that we love them. This stirs the anger of God. And let me just say every pastor and every minister here at Highland and every future pastor, future minister here at Highland, any leader at Highland, we need to see this next section together. Malachi chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I'll send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I already have cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. In other words, you're not worshiping me with your heart, just with your words. Behold, verse three is pretty heavy, by the way. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and will spread dung on your faces. The dung of your offerings. And you shall be taken away with it. Wow. As I've said before, I don't write this. I just preach this. This is how stirred God is toward his priests. Toward those who say they represent God to the people. So shall you know, verse 4. That I have sent this command to you. Now he starts to do a little juxtaposition here, a little side-by-side comparison between the priest of Malachi and then the priest of, of Levi. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with Levi was one of life and peace, and, and I gave him life and peace. It was a covenant of fear, and Levi, he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth. 
And no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace. He walked with me in uprightness. And he turned many people away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you, you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. All right. Things aren't going so well for the people of God or the leaders of God. So let's step back and understand how this passage applies to our lives in this place. Those who are watching online, how does this apply to us in 2021? What do we learn about ourselves? In the book of Malachi, what do we learn about ourselves actually throughout the entirety of the Old Testament? Here's the first thing, and it's pretty heavy. We disobey God. We damage others and we are dead in our sins first of all we we disobey God we we know what God expects of us we know the difference between right and wrong we know God's commands and even if you don't know all of God's commands certainly we all know the heart of God's commands and we find ourselves doing exactly what we know we should not be doing God tells us to not worship any other God and we say yes sir and then we build a golden calf and worship it. God says do not lie. We say yes sir and then we lie. God says do not steal. We steal. God says do not envy. We say yes sir. We will not envy and then we envy. We disobey God and it's not just that we disobey God. We damage others when we disobey God. There is always a ripple effect to sin. Continue on in this passage here, Malachi chapter 2, look at verse 10 with me. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then, here it is, here's how we damage one another. Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. And abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. Again, here's something that is holy that people were calling unholy. Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which God loves. And Judah has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off the tents of Jacob, any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. Here's the second damage. And the second thing you do, You cover the Lord's altars with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offerings or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? It gets heavy right here. Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he, God, not make them one even with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Jewish men were divorcing their wives to marry pagan women. God is saying right here that your idolatry has led to your infidelity. And don't miss this. You may even want to write this down somewhere. 
Adultery is always born in the heart of someone who forsakes the worship of God. You want to know where marriages fall apart, where adultery enters in and wrecks families? It is always born in a heart that forsakes the worship of God. I have never counseled a spouse who said that they were walking closely with God or longing for the beauty of God as they committed adultery on their spouse. It is always born in a forsaking of the worship of God. Our sin against God always ripples out to hurt others, to to damage others. There's never just one domino that falls. There are always so many who are hurt, who are damaged when we choose to forsake the worship of God. So we disobey God, we see that, we damage others, we see that, and we are dead in our sins. The glaring reality of the Old Testament is that we're dead in our sin. Let me just ask you this question. What do you do to overcome deadness? Try harder? Do better next time? You're dead. And you're stuck there until someone from the outside does something for you. You're stuck there until someone does something supernatural to bring you to life. This is what the Old Testament is, is showing us. In fact, you can write this down or consider this with me. Sin is stronger than our willpower. That's what we learn in the Old Testament. We see that, that sin is more subtle than our cleverness. You can't outsmart sin. Oh, we see that sin is more attractive than our restraints. This is, this is the picture of the Old Testament. We can try to be so wise and so clever. We can try to be so self-disciplined, express so much willpower, and show all these restraints. But sin is stronger. Sin has won. Sin has damaged others. Sin has caused us to die. We were dead, and really what we needed, we needed God himself to come and save us. Hmm. So what do we learn about God in the book of Malachi and really all throughout the Old Testament? I'll give you three things here as well that we can learn about God. We have learned about God these last several weeks. Here's, here's the first thing. He will be swift and accurate in his judgments. God will be swift. He'll be just. He'll be accurate. He's not going to miss any judgment. He, he fully knows what is going on in our lives and in the world today. Let's go to chapter 3. Look, look at verse 2 with me. Chapter 3, verse 2. We see this swift, accurate judgment of God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in the former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. Wow, verse 5, God says, I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, those who oppress the widow, those who oppress the fatherless, the orphans, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what we learn in Malachi. Here's what we learn in the Old Testament. He will be swift in his judgment. It'll be clear on the day 
that God comes through Christ, that God is just. And know this, Highland family. Every single sin will be judged. God will show his full justice. Those who live in darkness cannot escape the brilliance of his judgment. Those who have abused others, those who have oppressed others, they will have to sit in his courtroom. Those who have laughed at God will see God. He will be swift and accurate in his judgment. Here's the second thing we see in the book of Malachi. This, here's where the grace begins to come in in case it's feeling very heavy for you in here right now. He is consistently calling us to himself. Here's the grace of God. Here's the picture of the ark of redemption. He is consistently calling us to himself. Just continue on here. Chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, I do not change. Here's his sovereignty. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. Even though I'm coming in judgment, you will not be consumed. Verse 7. For the days of your father, you have turned aside from my statutes. You have not kept them. I love this. Return to me and I will return to you says the Lord of hosts. This is the grace. This is the God who pursues. This is the God who calls us to himself for safety to escape the pending doom of his judgment. This is the God who calls us to his side. This is the God who calls us to rest underneath the shadow of his wings. This is the God who says, turn to me and live forever. Turn from sin and turn to life. This is what we've learned about God. And thirdly, good news for us again, he will save those who come to him. I skip chapter three, verse one on purpose. Go back to verse one of chapter three. God is going to save those who come to him. Behold, God says, I will send my messenger. This is John the Baptist. He'll prepare the way before me. And the Lord, this is Jesus, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger, Jesus of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Christmas, chapter 3, verse 1. Chapter 3, verse, verse 16, jump down to the end of this. We see God saving those who come to him. Chapter 3, verse, verse 16, those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and then heard them And a book of remembrance. Here's the Lamb's book of life for those of y'all who want to jump ahead to the book of Revelation. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. God keeps those that he saves. We will be his. We will be his, verse 17, treasured possessions. We will, verse 18, see that we belong to him. The distinction will be clear. And we see those same three things happening. The swiftness of God's judgment, God calling us to himself, God saving those who come to him in chapter four. Let's just pick up chapter four. The very last chapter of the Old Testament. For behold, here's the judgment. A day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. That day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither with root nor branch. Here's God's salvation. Here's God calling us in verse two. But for you... Who fear my name, here's Jesus, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. 
Here's the joy of God's salvation. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. And here's God's blessings for obedience. Verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all of Israel. Remember what I've said. Verse 5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Utter destruction. The last words of the Old Testament end with utter Absolute, complete destruction. And then there is complete silence. For 400 years, God does not speak. 400 years. My God. My God, why have you forsaken us? Father, would you forgive us now? We, we didn't know what we were doing. Why have you turned your face from us. We thirst. We long for your presence. Save us. Send the son of, of righteousness. Where is this promised one? again.